Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So you have a one in 825 trillion chance of a meteorite hitting your home. If you can feel good about nothing else today, feel good about that. You have a one in 824, 25, 825 trillion chance of a meteorite hitting where you live. And so the odds of that happening are just astronomical. So it makes what happens 15 years ago even stranger. That there was a man in Bosnia, this is about 2008, 2009, Within a six-month time period, not one meteorite, not two, not three, not four, but five meteorites hit his property within six months. And this was verified by scientists seeing the damage, finding the meteorites. I mean, they confirmed that this was all true. And this man in Bosnia came to the rather reasonable conclusion that aliens were out to get him. (laughs) He said, I don't know what I did to them, but they're out to get me now, right? Or at least he said, somebody's messing with me. Have you ever felt like somebody's messing with you? Good, because you're going to hear about that today. So we're kind of doing an old-fashioned Advent teaching series, looking at the usual suspects around Advent, you know, Mary, and today we're looking at Joseph, and we'll look at the shepherds and the Magi and maybe Anna and Simeon and all these usual suspects around the first Christmas, the birth of Christ. But with each one, I want to focus in just on one thing. One thing that I would say during this season, if we were to try to integrate one characteristic or one principle into our lives, this seems to be pretty important. Now, for Mary, it was just being available. I'm the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. None of it would have happened had Mary just not made herself available to God and others. And to re-quote Corey Ten Boone, who said it best, if the devil can't make you bad, he will make you busy. And so many of us are too busy for God to interrupt our our schedule. So she was available. So today we're going to look at Joseph. In fact, I would invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at at several passages in Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2 because within the narrative of Joseph in the birth accounts of Jesus, not once, not twice, not three times, but four times God spoke to him through a dream. And I want you to see how That's such a statistical impossibility because there would be a prophet in the Older Testament who had one dream and maybe a king would have two dreams and maybe Daniel had three dreams, but but here is this man at the center, at the epicenter of the coming of Christ, and he had four dreams, and you know at some point he had to look up and say, is God just messing with me? What's going on here? And so let's walk through these accounts today and As we move through, I'm going to say, here's the characteristic I see in Joseph that I think it's worth us observing and imitating. So, Matthew chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 18. I'm just going to kind of walk through this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Now, if you want to, you can take your pencil and circle the word birth and go back to chapter 1, verse 1, and circle the word genealogy. That's the same word in the Greek. It's basically the word genesis. Here's how it all started. And by the way, the nativity, the incarnation, did not begin at Bethlehem. It began back at the very beginning of creation. And here, 
Matthew traces it back to Abraham. This has been in the works a long time. God's beginning to do something. You don't see it at first. But now this Genesis that takes place in 118 is now. All of history has been leading up to this precise moment. This is how the Genesis of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Uh, by the way, that word pledge there in the older translations is betrothed. This was an engagement on steroids. It was a legal binding contract. It, you actually had to have a divorce decree to nullify a betrothal. It had all the responsibilities of marriage, but none of the benefits of cohabitation, not yet. It was a, a waiting period. And both couples, both in the couple were expected to keep themselves faithful and pure. Well, what's about to happen seems to fly in the face of that. She was pledged to be, be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, for Joseph, the sentence ends after the word pregnant. He didn't know about the Holy Spirit, not yet. He just knew this woman that he was betrothed to was pregnant, and in good faith, he could not marry her because he assumed she had been unfaithful. And that's in line with Joseph's character. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. By the way, if I were to give one word to Joseph, it'd be the word integrity. Integrity means a consistency of character. Let's be people of integrity. Let's be people whose character is consistent day in, day out, whatever the circumstance. Because he was a person of character, he could not in good faith marry her, but he also didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. So he said, let's take care of this discreetly. So consider being in Joseph's position right now. You know the poor man just had to be confused. This was not at all what he had expected from his fiancée. This is not at all what he expected his life to look like. He didn't see this one coming, and no doubt he was confused. So if you're confused here today about what life is happening, what, what's going on with you, what circumstances are, if you're confused, you're not alone, and this confusion should be an opportunity. It's a trigger to do one thing, and here's the characteristic I want to sit on with Joseph today. If you're confused, it's the opportunity to pay attention. Mary was available. What I want to point out about Joseph today is he was attentive he was attentive to God. He used this obstacle as an opportunity. I'm confused. Okay, it's time to be attentive to God. Have you ever been in the situation where you're in a waiting room and you look up and you realize everyone is looking down at their phones? Have you ever been in that situation before? If you haven't, you're probably one of the people others are looking at that you're looking down at your phone. We, we have this drive. We, we are forever distracted. We have this idea of the novel and the new, and we never stop to be in the right now. And could I say, during this time of year, Advent is not a season of shopping. It should be a season for stopping. Stop. Pay attention to right now, especially if you're confused. So Joseph is confused. Obviously, he's paying attention because God comes to him in a dream. Now, we'll talk about the validity of dreams here in just a moment, but let's take it at face value. 
After he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. This is verse 20. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. The angel of the Lord reminds Joseph of a couple of things here. Joseph, son of David, first thing the angel does is remind Joseph of who he is. He is a descendant of a king. By the way, when my kids were growing up and whenever they'd go away on a trip or an overnight stay at a friend's house, I would say two things. And about the eighth or ninth time I told my kids this, they would say, I know, I know, and they would quote it back to me. I would say, you represent Jesus and you represent the spoos. Represent us well. Don't forget when you get into the thick of things and other people are getting into trouble, don't forget who you are. Can I encourage you today, especially if you're confused, please remember who you are. You are a child of the living God. You're not having to make it up on your own. You're not having to figure this out as you go along. Remember your identity. You are related to royalty. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife. So he's reminded, first of all, of who he is, and then he's reminded of what Mary needs. Mary needs a husband in this situation. So this is an opportunity for Joseph to step up. He remembers that here is a woman, regardless of what I think has happened, and we'll get to that in a second, she needs me. I wonder how much of our confusion in life would be cleared up if we stopped focusing on our needs and looked at the needs right in front of us and just did the next right thing, served the person that's right in front of us. By the way, I've often said this, if you face a fork in the road, you have a big decision to make and you don't know which way to go, nine point nine times out of ten, God wants you to walk down the most difficult path. You're welcome. Have a great Sunday. <laughs> we don't like to hear that. It's usually the easy road that's the wrong road. Joseph could have gone on about his life, got engaged to somebody else, and his life would have turned out like he expected it to. Or to go down this road that's difficult, this would affect him for the rest of his life. But he went down that harder road because it wasn't about him, it was about what Mary needed. And then, Joseph, what is conceived in her, and here he receives his, his confirmation, is from the Holy Spirit. The last reminder Joseph gets here, he remembers who he is, what Mary needs. He's reminded of this simple truth, and if you haven't heard it in a long time, here it is. Joseph, this ain't about you. There's a much larger purpose at work here. And if we could just grab onto that one thing that the world's not about me, that might renovate the way that we live our lives. Now, here's the good part. God, God to drive that home, says there's all these prophecies here. So give birth to a son, you will give him the name of Jesus. Uh, and he's not going to be like the political Messiah, most people. This is going to be about personal business. He will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and they will call him, that word that we sang just a minute ago, Emmanuel, God with us. So I think I've lost my mind because I'm doing something absolutely crazy. I don't hear anybody disagreeing with me to say I haven't lost my mind. <laughs> I think it's because I've gotten so used to short form media, email, text messages, my concentration has just been faltering. So I decided to do something that would really challenge my ability to concentrate. So I've been reading through Homer's Iliad, Homer's Odyssey, and Virgil's Aeneid. 
why I torture myself to do this. And folks, it's easy. And I'm lying to you right now. It's not been easy. But I've been trying to bulk up my, my ability to concentrate through these classic works of literature. Here's what I stumbled on this week. And this is about to feel like an English class. Hang in there with me for just a minute, okay? Virgil wrote the Aeneid for Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus wanted this epic to be written that would talk about how the Roman people came about and how important they were on the face of the earth. So Homer made up, excuse me, um, uh, Virgil, excuse me, Virgil made up this story about Aeneas who comes out of the Trojan War. He's a refugee. He makes his way to Italy and they found the Roman people. And Aeneas is given at one point by the goddess Athena is given this huge shield. And on this shield are depicted all the great scenes from what for the reader is Roman history. For Aeneas, this is prophecy. Here's all the great people that are ever going to live in Rome. And by the way, right at the center of it all, what the world is waiting for is this man named Caesar Augustus. That's the story that was made up, that all of history has been waiting for this one man to arrive. You know, Virgil is writing this at the same time, roughly, that these events are happening. He makes up a prophecy. It is manufactured to say the world has been waiting for Caesar Augustus. And at the exact same time that was happening, boy, that was loud, at the exact same time, instead of this big Caesar on the throne, there's this little baby born in a barn and put into a feeding trough. And the prophecies don't have to be manufactured. They were already there. 750 years before Isaiah would say, a virgin would conceive and give birth, and his name will be Emmanuel. The world's not been waiting for somebody to come and take charge. The world's been waiting for somebody to come and save our souls. This is real. This is true. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. And through all the confusion of this, because Joseph is paying attention, his confusion turns into clarity. Now let's go to the next dream. Skip over to chapter 2, starting in verse 13. When they had gone, so who in the world is the they? Well, it's the Magi. We'll come to them in two weeks. By the way, just to timestamp this, Joseph and Mary are living in Nazareth when they're engaged. Joseph has this dream, takes Mary to be his wife because of Caesar Augustus, the guy on the throne, issuing a decree that a census should be taken throughout the entire Roman world. They make their way down to Bethlehem because that was headquarters for their family. And when they got to Bethlehem, they decided to stay there, and chances are they lived in Bethlehem for about two or two and a half years. And who comes to visit in that time but the Magi? So the Magi are not there the night Jesus is born. They're there about two years later. Jesus is a toddler at this point. I read a great quote this week that says, raising a toddler is part joy, part guerrilla warfare. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I see some moms going, thumbs up. That's it. It's, it's a challenge. So Jesus is about two, two, maybe two years old. He's toddling around. The Magi show up. And because they had given Herod some inside information, it actually created problems for them because Herod was not a stable individual. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, get up, take the child, his mother, escape to Egypt, stay there 
until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for this child to kill him. So here, Joseph is caught completely off guard. Listen, I don't know if anything happened to you this week that's just caught you off guard. If so, you're in good company. If so, it's a cue to pay attention. It's easy to get overwhelmed. It's easy to get caught off guard and say, what do I do next? Before you answer that question or even ask it, say, if I'm caught off guard, it's a pretty good opportunity for me right now to pay attention. What is God trying to say through these events? I've heard people say before, God will never give you more than what you can handle. Do not pay attention to people like that. That is completely false. God will regularly give you more than what you can handle. Well, now, doesn't the Bible say somewhere? The Bible does say that God will not tempt you beyond your ability to handle it, but there will always be a way out. You'll never have the excuse to say, I had no other option. But when it comes to circumstances, God will regularly give you more than you can handle so that you'll have the opportunity to rely on Him, so that you'll pay attention. So, all of a sudden, Joseph's caught off guard. What do I do? I pay attention. God comes to him in a dream. Get out of here. Go to Egypt. Verse 14, so he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. There they stayed until the death of Herod. Because Joseph paid attention, he was given courage. So play this out with me. If they had stayed in Bethlehem, if Joseph had ignored the dream, so Herod's soldiers would have come through and killed all the babies two years old and under. And that happened. It's called the murder of the innocents. That took place. Probably 15 to 20 babies were put to death. Now, don't blame that on God. Blame that on Herod. Don't blame God for what bad people do. So those babies are slaughtered. If they had stayed put, the baby would have been killed. But Joseph knows as soon as he flees, as soon as he and Mary start to run, their lives are on the line now. Because if the soldiers catch up, they won't just kill the baby, probably kill them as well. So they make a 75-mile run to the border. By the way, would take them real close to where all the conflict is happening right now, and they would go to Egypt. Listen, when you're caught off guard, pay attention. Because God will give you courage. One more scene. Verse 19, after Herod died, so now they're down in Egypt. After Herod died, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. Now, if I'm doing the math right on this, I go down to Bethlehem for two, two and a half years because of the time that Jesus was born and the death of Herod and them going down, chances are the Holy Family was in Egypt probably just a couple of months. Now, this is going to be the tough one for many of you because I've talked about, you know, hey, if you're confused today, pay attention to God. If, if you're caught off guard, pay attention to God. This last one is going to be a tough one for you. If you're comfortable, pay attention to God. Because Mary and Joseph have no sooner arrived in Egypt. They've just settled in. Joseph has a dream. I can hear the conversation the next morning as he gets up and goes, Mary, the meteorite hit again, and we need to go back to Israel. 
And Mary would probably say something like this, but we just got here. Just when you're comfortable, just when things are settled in, listen, pay attention to God. Here's the hardest thing, listen, God may change your plans. Man, I hope I don't have to, I I hope you obey this, but for me it's kind of tough. I'm real type A, you know, I like to have a plan and execute my plan, but have you ever discovered that God very seldom respects our plans? Because He has something much bigger and much better in mind. So if you're comfortable, pay attention because God may be changing your plan. And and I want want you to see in all this too, I, I forgot to mention this, this going down to Egypt and this coming back, if you've ever moved, you know that's expensive. God is telling them to go back and forth. How, how in the heck is God going to provide for all of that? Dorothy Fletcher, this was about 10 years ago. She's on a flight from uh, England to Orlando, and she's coming over to spend time with family, and so she's flying across the ocean. She has a heart attack. She's 67 years old, and the stewardess gets on the PA system and says, we have a passenger who's having a heart attack. Is there a doctor here? And it just so happens that there was a group of physicians from the UK who were coming over for a cardiac convention in Orlando, Florida. And so 15 doctors all get up and plot their way back to Dorothy Fletcher. She got the best treatment of anybody on that flight. Where God guides, God provides. And even though Mary and Joseph are having to go to Egypt, no sooner they settle in, they've got to come back. Remember, they had just had this little visit from these guys called the Magi. And what did they give them? Gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, enough to finance the trip that God would send them on. Even if you're comfortable, pay attention, and God's going to provide as you take each step along the way. So, uh, let me finish up this text here because they come back. He has a fourth dream here. Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, now this is the area around Bethlehem, Herod had three sons, and Archelaus was the most unstable of the three. (laughs) He's afraid to go there. Having been warned in that final dream, he withdrew to Galilee, a town called Nazareth, so would fulfill what the prophet said, this is Isaiah 11, he will be called a Nazarene. So, we've talked through this this morning of, if you're confused, pay attention. Uh, God will, you know, he'll, He'll clarify some things for you. If you're caught off guard, pay attention. God will give you courage. If, if you're comfortable, pay attention. God may change your plans, but it'll be better than anything you've ever imagined. Now, how do we practically do this? How do we practically day in and day out pay attention to God? Let me give you two thoughts. First of all is this. Notice in all of our reading about Joseph this morning, how many words come from his mouth? Zero. We never have a single recorded word of Joseph the entire Gospels. And I think there's a little message there that if you want to hear God, you got to zip it. Did that sound irreverent? I meant it to sound irreverent. Sometimes we want to hear God, we need to close our mouths and stop talking so much. So maybe just say it's, it's a good time for me to be silent. Here's the second piece of counsel I would give you. Once you're quiet, 
Figure out the way that you best hear God and start plugging into that. And, and God's going to speak to all of us in, in different ways and at different times. He speaks to us in prayer. He speaks to us through other Christians. He speaks to us through circumstances. Some people, he speaks through dreams, not everybody. Find a way that you pay attention, but here's one way that I know we can all hear him very clearly. It's in taking this and start reading it. Start hearing the words of Jesus for yourself. So I'm going to invite you in January when we get there. And by the way, you don't have to wait to do this. You can do this starting today if you want to. But I'm going to give a challenge to our church that every day during January of 2024, we will read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus' message on the mount. And just take time to listen. And then here's a really good spiritual practice. That after you're through reading the scripture, stop. Don't ask God for anything. Don't start pouring out your request. Just stop. And for just a minute or two, and by the way, as you do this, you'll build those muscles and you'll be able to do it for longer and longer. God, I've read your word. I'm not asking for anything. I'm listening. And just stop. I would encourage you to do this first thing in the morning. You got to get to God before the world gets to you. God, I'm listening. If there's something you want to say, I'm all ears and pay attention. Sedan Mazio is a writer. He talks about him becoming a father, but he also talks about his own father. Let me just read this. This is a great little account. He said, Pop was a first-generation Italian-American. Pop was struggling with liver and lung cancer. Doctors gave him less than a year to live, and Pop bravely said that he wasn't afraid to die. After all, his wife was already gone. His children were grown. But when he learned that I, his only son, was going to, have a was going to become a father, he said, I'm going to be there for that. The chemo tortured his system. Some days it was all he could do to mumble into the telephone, bad day, to those who would call. But when his granddaughter was born, he insisted on going to the hospital. The 90-minute ride in the car tortured him. We wheeled him into the maternity ward. Pop's arms were so weary and weak that we had to hold the baby for him. But Pop did what he came to do. He leaned over. He kissed that little baby and said, Sheila, Mary, Grandpa loves you very much. Within seconds, Pop was asleep. Within an hour, he was back in the car. And within days, he was dead. And Don Mazio ends with this question. What is it about love that endures such things? What is it about love that endures something like this? So it's good to talk about paying attention, and Joseph did that, and he modeled that. But there's something deeper there than just paying attention to God. Because Joseph's life would have to endure a whole lot to see Christ come into the world. He would have to endure his own confusion. He would have to endure a lot of change that he didn't want to. He would have to endure being caught off guard probably more than once. But there's something about love that endures great things. So my encouragement with you, 
Don't just pay attention to God. That's good. Fall in love with God. When you fall in love with God, you are ready and willing to be available and also to pay attention. Let's stand together and let's pray together. So, if you're confused, welcome to the club. If you've been caught off guard by something lately, you're in good company. If your life is comfortable, well, enjoy that while it lasts. But let's take a moment right now, and instead of us talking about it, would you just, in the privacy of your heart and mind, say, God, I'm listening. Speak. If there's something you need to say, I'm listening right now. Father, we admire people like Joseph who have this ability to pay attention whatever the circumstances. It's much more difficult to become a person who pays attention to you in whatever circumstance. So would we practice this not only today but tomorrow, not only this week, next month, but the rest of our lives. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. This is our prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Let's respond to God together. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.